You're listening to Empowered Podcast with Patrick McGuire as he has empowered conversations with great people, doing great things and helping others. Join us at empoweredpodcast.ca. Hey, Empowered Nation, it's Patrick McGuire here. It's so awesome to have you here with us. This is going to be an interesting podcast uh, because, hey, I like to coach and I like to consult and I like to mentor, but I've got a pro performance, science-based performance coach with me who does things in a little different level, in a totally different level, I should say. I've got this great lady with me. We've had a pre-ramble, pre-conversation. I've looked at her bio, been on LinkedIn, been on the website, and we're going to talk about some of those things. But remember, this is an empowered conversation where I like to have empowered conversations with great people doing great things to empower others. And that is Carla Fowler. Carla Fowler, MD, PhD, the whole works, everything, all those titles and all those initials, it means she's smart. But not only smart for herself, but smart for you, smart for those that she works with. She's a founder and managing director at Thaxa. It's an elite executive coaching program, systems, conversations, coaching, teaching, the whole works. The key focus is about leveraging the best ideas from performance science to helping high-level achievers and leaders around the globe pursuing those ambitions and their goals to achieve greater success. And just to give you a little bit of the bio, Dr. Carla Fowler is obviously the MD, PhD, but as an elite executive coach for over the last decade, she has been a secret weapon for scores and scores, piles and piles, lots of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other senior leaders. Carla's unique approach combines the latest research from performance science with timeless best practices to help top performers level up and achieve their goals. And you know what I love most before I get you in on this one, Carla, is right on their website, right at the top. It's pretty blunt. It's pretty bold. Folks, check it out. It says doing something big and important is hard. Thaxa Executive Coaching can help. And with that, Carla, thank you so much for joining me on the Empowered Podcast. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thank you. Now, I might as well kick things off. Uh, Carla and I were talking before this. We talked about preambles and we talked about performing in not ideal situations. We talked about, and, and just clarity, this is semi-post-COVID. I don't even know if there uh, is post-pre-whatever. <laughs> It's the new the world long after tail. restrictions. <laughs> the long tail. Yes. So we were talking about dealing with business and sports. And she knows I like hockey. She knows I like to ride mountain bikes and road bikes and have fun with my kids. And I like to help coach other coaches and business entrepreneurs, startups. I like to mentor peer groups. That's something I love doing. But Carla brought up a really good point. It's normal. Um, you got to deal with stressful situations. She listened to one of my other podcasts and I believe it was Megan Bozek who she grew up playing hockey with the boys and Carly called this one out and she's like, yeah, but then when she flipped over to compete with the girls, she was a beast. She overperformed. And that's something I think Carla that you do with your coaching. You help people take it to that next level. You, uh, I'm going to let you say it, but I think you kind of put it that they're in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you help them perform at a new level. Kind of explain to me. Well, so, I mean, there are a lot of ways to talk about that, but 
I think one of the most important things that I do, and it's funny because a, a client just brought this up this morning, an entrepreneur that I work with, and this idea of, I think a big piece of what I do is helping people get out of the noise of their own head, which is often really informed mm -hmm. also by what are all the things that are unideal at this moment? What yes. fire is burning over here? What fire is burning over there? I like to talk about the mess, what's messy at the moment, but that often, I mean, these are highly capable people at baseline. And so a big piece of what I am doing is removing barriers that get in their way. Sometimes that is the noise in their own brain. So really helping them get back to clarity of what matters most. And I call this loosely brutal focus. <laughs> so, and we can talk more about that, but one of the things over my life story, obviously I did not take a path that is classic for the fact that I went through medical school and I got a PhD yeah. and then ended up in coaching. And that's sort of the surprise where everyone says, wow, what happened there? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, there was I a blip, big left turn. But I think one of the lessons that I really learned throughout my life was this idea of you got to figure out what really matters most. Because when you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, mm -hmm. what can happen is you really start to try and like outwork the problem. You start to try and like use a shotgun approach. You're throwing spaghetti at the fridge or you're switching strategies too frequently, not giving them enough time to work. And so there's just a lot of mistakes that can happen. And I find that one of the best solutions is really coming back to asking the question, what matters most? And a piece of that often has to do with saying, well, what's the outcome you're going for is an important piece of actually then saying what's going to matter for that. And like, I have some great, right. <laughs> I have some great examples, even just from my own life of where, for example, I'll just use some sports as one particular example. Um, I always loved playing sports and I think I desperately wanted to be like an Olympian. <laughs> I mean, bring up and yeah, like, I mean, standing on that podium, that just seemed like the dream. And um, so I kept trying my hand at different sports. So like I was a runner during high school, but I figured out that I was good, okay. but not good enough to run at a division one college. So then I was like, okay, well, uh, I picked the college I wanted to go to. I went to Brown University, wasn't going to run there, but I realized that uh, the rowing team was recruiting. And I was like, oh, you can just walk on to that program. Oh. And, and I was like, well, I mean, my cardiovascular fitness is pretty good. So, and I'm tall, so maybe I can just do that. And I did that. And like, and I got to row with people who ultimately went to the Olympics. Now, I did not go to the Olympics, but for my size in a very short period of time became quite a talented rower. Like I went and competed at this indoor championship of when we say indoor rowing, we mean ergs. Have you ever gone on an ergometer? That's the rowing machine at the gym, right? Okay. Yes. Total torture yes, devices. But like I was ranked in like the top yeah. 10 college students who showed up for this, like this championship. And this is like less than a year of starting rowing. But part of it is just figuring out like, okay, 
what's going to matter? How do you get in the arena where you can learn from people who are high performers, where you can learn from them basically what matters most, whether that's learning rowing form or, for example, like in my PhD, picking a mentor who was awesome. He was very successful. He was a cancer immunotherapist and very smart. Um, you know, and it's okay. You can name drop if he's oh, that he's good. great, Dr. Phil Greenberg, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle, really fabulous, and always had money for his lab. And some things I was learning was that like science wow. is a business, and I realized that I needed to learn mm -hmm. how to think, and I needed to learn how to sort of be successful at this business that I was planning to go into. And I think there were other mentors that might have been I don't, maybe like a better teacher. In the sense of like kind of softer or more like developer characteristics, maybe more empathetic. But the truth is, I could tell that he had the skills and the expertise that I really needed to learn. And that then it's between us to figure okay. it out. But that was what was most important. Not necessarily was it the smoothest learning experience? Was it warm and fuzzy? <laughs> but, you know, who do you want to learn from? So this... Um, I'll just bring it back to, uh, so I think a lot about what matters. And I think this idea of really having brutal focus is part of what really helps people and how you can coach people to a higher level when number one, they're already super competent. And number two, when they are dealing with uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. And most of us are uncertain in many different situations and it makes us uncomfortable. I often, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but I often tell people it's okay to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm. a weird. I think the intention and the meaning of it is just perfect. And the way I say it is, <laughs> it's okay being uncomfortable. <laughs> because I think yeah, the truth. I mean, <laughs> embrace it. it. So I love that you just said that because, so the second principle, um, and again, we're talking like, sort of the broad like levers that I use with people, but they've got themes. They're like these things, these lenses that we look through to help us get insights that make these really great people even better. So the way I say it is okay. relishing uncertainty. So relishing saying, uncertainty. How, how do I lean into uncertainty? Maybe I don't have to love it, <laughs> but okay. often when we're in an area where there's uncertainty, it means a couple things. Number one, it probably means that there could be opportunity there. Because if you're doing something that's a sure deal, probably everybody else yeah. is doing it also. And it's not that interesting or impactful. Yes. I think the second thing is that, again, like if you can master that skill and at least keep yourself moving into the future, into areas where you don't have certainty, you're going to keep growing. And as a result, your capability is going to keep growing. Like what you know you can handle is going to keep getting larger. And so I think that is another piece of it, why it's really important. And I have some ways that I help people. I mean, it's easy to say, okay, great, Carla, relish uncertainty. Like, how do I do that? Yeah. Okay. Like, give me some triggers. Give me some bullets. Drop some nuggets. Yeah, exactly. Do that. 
Awesome. So, okay. I think the first thing is this idea of like, can you have an abundance mindset? And to me, that means, is there more, can you just like envision that there's more than one good way to get somewhere? And that actually like the perfect plan in our head may actually be less good than what actually happens. Even when things And actually I'm going to jump in on you because abundance Yeah. The abundance mindset is different. Like I talk to so many people that, you know, truthfully they operate from scarcity and it's like, well, if I don't do this, someone else is going to do it. If I don't get this sale, then someone else gets it. There's only like a hundred sales out there and you're going, we have billions of people on the planet that need whatever. And, and again, operating from abundance mindset, like you said, if opportunity arises, you go, great, that's how my square peg will fit that round hole, stretch it out and make it work. And that is opportunity. So I do like the abundance mindset. I think that's brilliant. And I think everybody listening should immediately pivot to adopt that mentality. It's something I really try and teach a lot with. That's awesome. And, and such a benefit for people. Okay, second nugget under how, do, how does one relish uncertainty? So I think the second piece is figure out what you can know And what you can't know is really useful because I think we sometimes like mix those things up in our brains. And so we can spend a lot of time, (laughs) we can spend a lot of time doing extra research, trying to create more certainty, and we can pour a ton of effort trying to get something that we cannot get through that route. Now, sometimes I like, I'm a big fan of learning, do your research. So if you can know it, Absolutely. Go talk to your network, go on the internet, read a book, because there's actually a lot of stuff that we do know. And so it's not an excuse. Relish, to relish uncertainty is not an excuse to not do your homework. But you just want to stop at the right point in time when you realize that you know what you can know. The others, you can't figure out ahead of time. And that leads us to the third nugget, which is, well, this is me. This is the scientist. Life is one big experiment and then a series of like, it's one big project. And then it's a series of experiments in the project. So I, but I teach people to run good experiments and we talk about what makes a good experiment. So there's a couple things which separates a good experiment from just like throwing spaghetti at the fridge. (laughs) So the first is you want to be sort of focused. So now we're going back to brutal focus. So you want to really kind of be clear about what are, you, what are you trying to learn here? And this is something like Dr. Greenberg just drew, like he would always remind me, I would come in, say, hey, I'm going to run this experiment. And he would be like, why are you doing that? Um, not me, not as a rhetorical question, just like, no, I want to understand like, wow. why would you do that? What's the purpose? What is it you think you will learn? So you want to have some clarity there. Then I think the second piece, particularly for entrepreneurs, business owners, is you want to think about sort of an experiment that has good opportunity for upside or potentially like big upside if it goes how you think it might. But then on the downside, you want to kind of mitigate risks. So you want to say, well, there's often a downside, but you want to have sort of an asymmetric set of returns where the downside is tolerable and the potential for the upside is actually quite a bit bigger than that. And then you just want to make sure that you could tolerate the downside if that happened. 
Okay. So that's, <laughs> it's yeah. funny. I, um, I recently did this with one of my clients that I'm working with. They're, they're in the sports category, specifically in video communication, more like, um, team video communications, you know, looking at performance. And since we're talking performance, yeah. but I just related to sports here mm -hmm. is you can clip tag and highlight specific performance situations and pass that on to the coaches or a specific athlete or to the entire team or to the entire offense or D. And, and we did what you said. We ran an experiment on user acquisitions, something that I like to do. Yeah. And like, how do we get lots of users that will take this back and semi-viral? And the reality is, well, yes, you can promote it on social media and get all that stuff and you might get some users come in and that's, that has potential vi virality, if you will. But we actually went to a pretty high level sports tournament. It was hockey in the summer. It was a prospects tournament. So elite Southwestern prospects tournament. And the concept was that lots of different players from all over South Central Ontario are coming to the prospect tournament and we gave them free accounts for 30 days. And then their coaches and players got that and took it back to their cities. Yeah. Now we had to make a little bit of, you know, what if something goes wrong right. and what if something goes right? Mm -hmm. Well, the good thing is they took it to their cities and everybody likes it. The bad thing is, well, if the onboarding doesn't go well and they don't adopt it, we have to deal with smaller numbers. We found out that there was actually a small onboarding problem. So by doing this at one tournament, no big deal. Yes. Could you imagine that we found out there was an onboarding problem if we rolled it across 20 tournaments at once? Mm -hmm. We would have been dead. Our reputation would have been shot. The company would have been yes. in a lot of trouble. And So you're like, okay, how do we size this experiment appropriately, given what we don't know, to really learn something? Yes. And so sometimes you have to make an experiment big enough that you actually learn something meaningful. So like, if I'm rolling out a product, I can't just show it to my best friend and say, is it good? And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, great, I'm going to have China produce <laughs> millions of these. So yeah, it needs to be big enough. And yet, as you pointed out in this case, you had sized it such that a small onboarding problem was actually not a total deal breaker. Yeah. So, and maybe, so the third piece of running a good experiment is really making sure that you uh, have thought out how you will know if it worked or it didn't work. How will you uh, learn from it, whether it turns out consistent with uh, what you hoped would happen or inconsistent with what you hoped would happen? And so yes. I'm wondering, Patrick, like, is there an example from this example? It sounds like you had certainly ways and metrics to understand, like, did it work? Are, are people going to use it? Are they using it? What's happening? So it sounds like you had that so built into your... We did. We did. And, and the nice thing yeah. was that we basically covered this arena, multi-arena is a, a multiplex, if you will, thing for brand awareness. You know, we had signs and posters and magnets and stickers and jerseys and hoodies and shirts. And we had some kids getting their volunteer hours for high school. So that was cool. cool. They wore our stuff. They walked around and they went onto the mini pads and they shot pucks wearing our stuff, which is really good. So our awareness opportunity went through the roof. We had people trying to buy the hoodies off of our people doing the video work. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to get your jersey. Can That's I buy awesome. that? And we're like, they're not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they actually, we have intents to do that. They will be for sale. So that was great. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of total volume of users, that's the real metric. So first to get them right. on the free program and then to get them on to pay. So um, that's just the way it goes. That's the business. What we found is that the bottleneck was actually the coaches. So when we give the coaches a team account, we realize that not all the coaches are quite 
simple tech savvy. They're too simple. And they okay. didn't share it with their players. We also noticed that the tournament itself did not promote that there was a sponsor giving a free performance video communication tool. So that was a bit of a, um, a failure, if you will. So an X instead of that one. We also realized that the onboarding hole, the problem, the gap that was there, partly in the way that we made sure that everybody was aware that they get a free account, wasn't strong enough. And those that got mm -hmm. into the system, mm -hmm. though, to sort of, sort of, it's a two-layered A-B thing here. So first of all, not enough people got into it. They weren't aware that it was free and it was theirs. Two is those that got into the system, we found out, love it. Absolutely love it. They uploaded their fames. They clipped their, their highlights. They've been sharing on social media and sending to their friends. So we're seeing a lot of use. And even after that, we've seen them use it a fair amount. Now, later on this month, we'll come up on the 30 days, which will then transpire and we'll, look, we'll be looking for... Con so that's but, a great you know, demonstration of sort of uh, how you set it up. Oh, good. And how you're the able to The doctor said say, it was good, so I'm happy. How you're able to say... <laughs> Here's the parts that are working. And in fact, multiple things. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters how many users start <laughs> at the end of 30 days. <laughs> but but thank, thanks for being the example, because again, that's that last piece of running an experiment is we can try lots of things, but we can spend a lot of energy on that if we're not thinking ahead about how am I going to know if this is going to work? How do I set this up well? Um, and so in some ways, rather than worrying so, so much about the result, I like to have people sort of shift their focus and say, how do I think about what are the inputs, how we set this up? And then we're just going to see what happens. We can't control what happens outside of it. We can like that. influence it. But if you want to sh shine the light, shine the focus on something, how do you set up a good experiment? And I think that's part of what just frees people up to, if not enjoy, to say, hey, I get to do this thing, whether it's entrepreneurship or business. And part of why I love it is because of this uncertainty. If I actually knew what was going to happen and I knew the whole story and then I just had to still go through it day by day, it would be boring. So, yeah. So that's, that's how we think about that part. It, it would. I like that. Well, okay, then I'm going to challenge you. We're going to switch this out a little bit. Okay. Did you run these experiments when you decided to become a business coach and run your own business? I mean, you're switching from a doctor mm -hmm. to, we'll call you a doctor, um, the business <laughs> science, the science of business. Huh. You know, you do have to do those experiments. So absolutely. did you do this to yourself? Oh, goodness. Absolutely. You got to take your own medicine is, is one way to look at this. So I, there, you could make the argument that I have been running like these types of experiments on myself for my whole life. I didn't, I wasn't a kid who was like, I want to be a doctor. In fact, like my course what? through life was much more like, I think I really liked building capability. I think that was my answer to the idea that life was uncertain. And I thought, well, how do you build capability? Well, you go do hard things. Ideally, if you can find someone who's really good at it to learn from, like that's a plus. Figure out how to yep. get yourself in that arena. And that often just means figuring out what's most important. And then if you can provide that, then you can kind of get yourself an invite or get yourself in the door. But 
I mean, my story doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about like career paths and typically what people do. But I think more no. and more we see people doing this where the themes are actually in the capabilities they're building, how they think, how they approach problem solving versus, oh, well, you do this career thing and then you do this career thing and then you do this. So I think yeah. that for me, I like throughout my life was looking for interesting, hard problems to work on with great people to work on them okay. with, where I could learn a lot. Yeah. And Paul Graham actually published an essay that was, it was a graduation speech that was never given, but it's a great essay. And he talks about this idea of nobody kind of knows what they want to be when they grow up anymore. Like that's kind of a tall. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a tall order to ask an 18 year old. But he talks about kind of maintaining your altitude and kind of viewing it more from if you're building capabilities, learning how to think and working on interesting stuff, you will be able to find yourself in two good places. And so for me, the whole pivot into coaching from surgery. So, so remember right before this, so I am like, I've made it through med school. I've done a PhD in immunology. I am now in a general surgery program at Stanford, which is my top choice. And so I matched wow. there and I have a commitment to be there for five years. And I love the surgeons. And part of how I ended up with surgery is because I was like really interested in transplant surgery, which combines immunology okay. with surgery. But I liked the surgeons because I looked at that group of people and I thought to myself, that is a group of people who knows how to see the choice and own the choice and then constantly have to improve mm -hmm. their choice. And the reason for that is because surgery is so binary comparatively to other types of medicine. So you got to decide, are you going to operate or are you going to not operate? Um, you can't sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's a win-lose yeah. situation. You'll find. Well, and to not operate is as much a choice as to operate. And I think that is very much has parallels across all industries. This idea about that the failure to make a decision can be as much of a failure as making a decision and making the wrong decision. That we, to not make a decision is yes. in fact to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And um, I looked at that group I of people call and that I thought- paralysis by analysis. Oh, yes. That's a great way to put it. So I really wanted to learn from that group of people because I think I saw that in life more generally, that if you can see where your choices are and own them, and then maybe you can see why you made the choice and it didn't turn out well, but you can still own and take responsibility for the fact that like you are an agent in your life or in your work. And that's a very empowered place to be and to be acting from. I received no compensation for working that into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, neither do I. Uh, but really, so just looked at that and I was like, that is a high performance principle right there. I wanna learn from that. And That's... so I'm doing surgery. But I think even as I'm telling this story, my hope is that I was always thinking, not, not solely about the career path, the actual thing I was doing, but I was always thinking about it from the standpoint of, what is universal about how you are good at this thing? Not like there are obviously I had to learn okay. how to stitch people up. I had to learn how to do those very tactical, like fundamental skills that were specific to surgery. But yeah. it was always about 
learning how to think, learning how to approach problems more broadly, and thinking about how is that applicable to all areas of my life. And so ultimately, as I transitioned into coaching, to me, what really happened was I took something that I had been thinking about working on for my entire life in a variety of different testing zones, including like kind of brutal academic science, surgery, the sports field, and saying, what is fundamental to this that crosses the boundaries of industry, of vertical, that just makes high-performing people? And I am interested in producing, high, helping people be high-performing because neither of us knows what's going to happen in their business or can predict what the economy is going to do. And so I am all about saying, how do we coach people to really be able to deal with the ups and downs of that and perform at a high level when the conditions are not ideal? And I found that the training zones that I came up through and the way I think about things really set me up very well to then say, great. When I was figuring out that like, surgery didn't fully encompass all of the things I was excited about. And also, if you're going to be a surgeon, like, that's kind of your one thing. You, like... You better be focused, brutally focused. Well, and you have to love that one thing. I mean, and people who love to operate really love to operate. Right. Like, it was cool, and I, I enjoyed pieces so, of so it. So passionate and brutally focused. Yes, exactly. And so I made that pivot. Obviously, that was kind of a surprise to people. I finished my year at Stanford, but I told them, I was like, you need to fill my spot because I'm going to shift. Wow. I'm going to shift onwards. And then I started my own entrepreneurial journey, perhaps a more simple form of it. No venture capital was raised, nothing like that. But I had to take these principles and take them out of the systems that I had been testing them in and then say, great. Okay. So Carla. You're opening a practice. Nobody knows who you are. Like you don't even, you're using methods that you came up with that are what you believe in. So it's not even that you went to this coaching training program and you're doing the typical right. open a coaching practice. I'm not using that playbook. So what matters most? And after I did some initial testing to make sure that I could feel confident that like, what I was doing was valuable to the, so I beta tested with anyone I knew who like I thought was representative of the kinds of clients I wanted to help. So I did some experiments and that's that moment where you really hope someone doesn't come back and be like, well, I just don't think this was valuable, <laughs> but oh. you don't know. And then, then I did the second thing that is most important in business. So you got to make something, right? There's making stuff. Yep. And they're selling stuff and you have to do both. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. So the, after I had spent a little bit of time making something, testing it just enough to know that like it was safe to go out to market, then it was really all about you need to get out there and you need to like meet as many people as you can and you need to start selling. Yep. And I will tell you, maybe you've had an experience like this, but it is like those early deals, day of sales, particularly when you weren't trained in that. When you're a doctor, people just walk into the hospital. You don't actually have to do that much selling. <laughs> Your clients are. <laughs> yes. You do have to sell them on the treatment sometimes or sell them on the behavior change. 
But anyway, so yeah, yeah. I mean, those early days when zero clients, you got to get out there and it, no, it, I mean, it doesn't, you got to start. So that's, that's the first part. I call this the first 90, right? Uh, you can view it as 90% at the beginning is just get started. Or you can say 90% of people don't start. And um, so you got to start. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And I am going to tag that in our system because you're right. 90% of people don't start. In fact, I think 90% of the ideas that I have, and I'm very creative in terms of business, entrepreneurship, marketing, sales, 90% of my ideas, I don't ever do anything on them. I don't act on them. I even just throw them out and let people, someone else go with it. But that would say that 90% of the people will never act on any, that one great idea they might have to, you know, you go after it if you're going to. So I, I love that state. Yeah. Well, and then the second piece, and I'm just using myself as an example, right? Like, so, okay, you make that first cold call or you set up that first cold coffee and, and you're meeting up with people and then you have to keep going. So it's not like, okay, I got started yes. and then I got some early wins. It was like, no, often it's kind of crickets because what you're actually doing is you're compounding on a couple of different fronts. In a business like coaching, where people really want to know who you are and they want some social proof that um, you're good at what you do, you really have to build some momentum and that is going to take some time to show those results. But if you keep after it, what you're doing is you're really compounding on that like that social front. And you're also getting better at one of the fundamental skills, which is sales. How do you talk about your business? How do you yeah. make it clear to people what they might get out of it? What is your value proposition? Is it clear? And so all of this, like these early iterations, I was rapidly learning. Now, that doesn't mean that people lined up to be coached by me, but I say this because this is actually pretty normal. This is what it yes. can really look like. Your skills are coming up the curve, but you haven't yet totally compounded enough to where you're seeing some of those actual results, those success results come yep. out in the real world. And so you have to keep going because eventually some of that catches up. And it looks like magic yes, at does. the moment that happens because often people don't see all the time you spent like talking to people and sort of getting nothing, talking to people and getting nothing. Like, Ooh, that pitch. So I, I had, that, um, you know, <laughs> this friend, uh, we're business partners, in fact, and we went to a trade show when we were launching our business. It was about two weeks ahead of the actual launch of the business. Went to one of the industry's biggest trade shows on that specific platform. And we went and I had no business in that industry. Okay. Um, people can do research and figure out what it was, but this individual was a great guy, very smart in HR consulting had an idea to move from consulting to an app. And one of the odd things that has, we go to this, this event, multi-day event. And in three days, I booked 28 meetings, coffee meetings. And he's never, he said, I've never worked so hard at an event in my life. I usually just go and walk around. Mm -hmm. And the difference was, was getting all those meetings. We got a whole bunch of no's. Yeah. And that's okay because somebody taught me a long time ago that no just means next. And that was what I was thinking when you were telling me that you just have a lot. You have to do it mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And you have to go after it and you have to hustle for it. So I like that. And even when you get those yeses, like you said again, is you got to go after the next yes immediately. 
Don't even pause. Mm -hmm. Don't pump the brakes. Don't sit on your laurel. Get comfortable. Uh, yeah. We talked about it before the session. You need to be comfortable. Yes. Well, and I we're sort of talking about sales right now, but I think this idea more generally about funnel or like pipeline mm -hmm. that I was reading Jeb Blood's book, Radical or Fanatical Prospecting, I read recently. And I just think the idea of a funnel is powerful both in sales, but actually in a lot of uh, life and success. And so I want to bring it up, this idea yes. of always be prospecting, like because what things feel like today is often the result of the prospecting you were doing, Jeb would say, like 90 days ago, let's just say. So there's this lag. But I think one of the last major things that is just a theme that I work with people on in coaching is this idea of how are we cultivating power for ourselves? And what I mean by that is often that it usually has to do with people. Like what is our influence? Okay. What is our footprint? And we can think about funnels in all parts of our life. So it's not just about who are we like, who are we selling to, like who are sales prospects, but it's also who's in your network. Do you have new people coming into your network? And one of the most important pieces that sometimes people miss is that we think if we've built an amazing product or we think if in the workplace we're doing fantastic work, that will just be obvious. And in fact, in areas where it's harder to measure performance, which is often like anything that's not sports, like it's easy to know who won the game, uh, but yes. most of the rest of life doesn't have a scorecard like that. And so I really talk to people about we need to think about who is seeing what you're doing. How do we help people see what you're doing? How do we help people see your product that you've made versus spending more and more time on the making of it or more and more time doing great work, but no time creating visibility for yourself? And, and then we could say, how do we kind of create a funnel or a pipeline of people who are coming into your life, who are getting exposed to what you're doing, whether that's potential investors, potential board members, um, peers who might be a future co-founder. But it's a really, I think, important way to look at setting yourself up for success in an uncertain world. What do you have in the lifeboat with you? Know, you. These are... <laughs> yeah. 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 And we are all in a lifeboat. We're all struggling through deep waters. And, you know, entrepreneurship is... It is going ocean. And, you know, we, we hear of the story, the book, I should say, um, Blue Ocean Strategies. You hear of Red Ocean, and that's where most people operate. No wonder it's so choppy, scary, painful. We fail often. And then the Blue Ocean is go where they're not. Don't sit with the sharks. Make something happen. Make yourself, company, or your product very, very unique and sell to an audience that is demanding that and screaming for it. You don't need to fight with the me too products, if you will, and we're better. And I, I think that of what you're doing with Thaxa, you're taking a very scientific approach from your history. You're applying all these experiments and you're able to help apply them or teach others to apply them into their business. And that's a great sign. I think of a great calling different. Um, whereas a lot of people just spelled out crap. And that's not what you're doing. You're <laughs> testing them. You're challenging them and saying, figure it out. It's okay to fail as long as you understand or learn something. I love that. Yeah. Now, a lot of this was business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you two things or a couple of things here. I want to pivot this conversation because, you know, people want to get to know you, I think. Yeah. 
especially when, <laughs> who knows, maybe somebody from this podcast might actually say, hey, I, I want to talk to Carla and I want to participate with AXA. So I want to know what's something in your life or what's something that happened in your life? You know, it was, it was exciting. It was motivating. It was changing. I mean, basically, what is the most exciting thing? Oh, this is, I think we talked about this question in some prep stuff. Oh man, I, this is a hard question for me because I like to feel excited. I mean, I like to feel excited for my me clients. Too. I've been called, my two words are scientist enthusiast. Uh, if you had to like boil it Ooh. down, I'm really curious and I'm usually really enthusiastic about stuff. So, so let me think of, there's a couple things. So I think I said early on that I really wanted to be an Olympian. Well, I didn't quite make it to the Olympics, but something that just for me, I've always loved sports. I love kind of physically challenging myself. So I, after college, so I rode, but after college, I picked a new sport because there were some people at my college who played ultimate Frisbee and they were doing pretty good. Like they went to the national oh. championship. And uh, so I went to go watch them and I was like looking at it and I was like, I think I could do that, which I'm sort of embarrassed that I see that, but <laughs> I looked at it and I thought, well, you have to run a lot. So you got to be fit and I can do that. Like I know how to yep. do that skill. And all right, I'm going to have to figure out how to throw a Frisbee. But so the, what happened was I graduated, I was in med school, I was at University of Washington. So I did a nine-year program of graduate work, like the MD and the PhD, but I played ultimate Frisbee while I was doing that. And I, it turns wow. out that if you're going to enter a sport late in the game and you want to play at an elite level, one of the best things you can do is figure out what you can do that a high-level team will want you for. And so... I was like, I've got a speed and explosiveness. And so I think I'm going to play defense. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> did learn to throw a Frisbee and was never like a quarterback in the sport. But so I became a receiver and a defender. I played on the defensive line and I wow. tried out for the elite women's team. I made the team and certainly not a superstar. But as a result, got to play and defend really good players. So became quite a good defender. And the pinnacle of all of this, so we won multiple national championships at the club level through my 20s, like 20s to 30s. But also I got to go play in a world championship. It was not the Olympics, wow. but I played in the world championship of Beach Ultimate in Maceo, Brazil. And I went with a co-ed team representing U.S., and, and we won the world championship. So it was five on five on the beaches, super <laughs> <That's> hot <awesome>. sand <laughs> and was on Brazilian television. And I was like, okay. I mean, I still have these crazy plans cooked up for how I could still make it to the Olympics, but right. really, I think that for me was a pinnacle of like something I dreamed of for a long time that I finally kind of reached like the highest level of what was happening. So that That's is a, pretty awesome. And I love that you're still striving more. And, yeah. you know, I, I would love to do something amazing like that. I'd love to be at that level of championship. Sure. Olympics would be really cool. But honestly, I think that ship has sailed for me. I am 48. I still like to be competitive. And I try and compete with the young kids, but come on, let's get real. Actually, speaking of uh, exciting things, and <laughs> I just said the ship has sailed. It just clicked in my brain. I'm going to say... 
What's got you excited lately and what are you doing this? Awesome. Well, things that have me excited lately, I have gotten out of the sort of uh, team sport phase of my life, but I still love the outdoors. And so I still kind of recreate widely. This month, what's happening is we are actually headed off to do some hiking in the Dolomites, which is a, kind of the Italian Alp wow. area. I'm doing that with my dad. It was on his bucket list. Oh, cool. And so um, he's, I think, almost 75. And this is something that he and his friend have been wanting to do. And so one of the things that is really important to me is like our life, our lives are finite. And you've talked a lot about like spending time with your kids and that time with them, you know, when they're young, right? Like that's a finite time. And, yeah. and I think the same is the time we have with our parents. And so I think this is a really special trip. And then at the tail end of that, we are going to take an adventure, which is we're going to go sailing in Croatia, which is something I don't have a lot of experience so with beautiful. sailing. <laughs> but I've taken a certification course and someone else is captaining. So that's going to be kind of an adventure that will be a new experience. I will be, un I will be uncomfortable because again, it's not like I'm very experienced at hiking. I'm not as experienced on a sailboat and I know it will be so good for me because it's a way to get out of your comfort zone um, and say, okay. It's going to stretch you. Learn It'll a stretch new you, skill. girl. That's what it's going to do. <laughs> exactly. So those are exciting things. And and then I'm wow. pretty excited lately about, I do a lot of coaching and that's very in-depth with a smaller group of people, but I'm really excited. This is so fun, Patrick, to just share the ideas more broadly because these are universal and they can be helpful to anyone. And so the idea of yes. just, uh, if we are fortunate enough that even one person heard something valuable today and uses it to go do something that they are really excited about. And a person I wouldn't have met in your audience otherwise, like uh, that makes That's me right. very happy. So I'm pretty excited about that too. It's actually why I love podcasting as well, right? To empower others, just share nuggets of knowledge, either from myself, my guests, people like you that are smarter than us, that can help us to stretch ourselves, to take things that we're doing to the next level or get us to think a little differently. So I do love sharing people's stories that empower others. And, and I really appreciate you being, um, you know, Hey, we talked about business. We talked about personal, I mean, going to Croatia is going to be amazing. It's got some beautiful waters for sure on my bucket list, similar to you, this is weird or similar to dad is that I want to ride in the Dolomites with my son and, or my daughters, the daughters are starting to get out of riding, but the boys get into it a lot more aggressively. And then actually make the roundabout trip up to Slovenia and just do some paddle boarding. That would be that real high. So very similar mentality. Amazing. I like that. And Croatia's got beautiful, beautiful landscapes. It's, it's incredible. So I, I can't wait to hear your stories when you come back, <laughs> but also in business. Yeah. Hey folks, look, if you need to take your business to the next level and you need some guidance and Maybe you don't know you need the guidance. You're just listening to this and you realize Carla is a pretty cool girl. She's pretty smart. She's got a little bit of that science stuff going on that can actually be applied to stretching you in your business. You want to find Carla. And Carla, what's the best way for people to... Great question. So at my website is a great place to just learn more about my coaching practice. It's pretty easy. It's www.thaxa.com. And there's ways to get in touch with me through that. I'm also on LinkedIn and we can put that in the show notes. Um, 
but that we is will. A... It'll be in the show notes for sure. But just so we say it, it's Carla Dash Fowler Correct. on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I actually feel very happy, folks. Check out her website. Get in touch with Carla and figure out, you know, some of the things she's got, like Executive Coaching 101, the most common things people want to know about executive coaching, her top three principles, which we discussed a little bit here, and the five tools that she uses with all of her high-performing clients. Really cool. This is not a plug. I'm just excited for what she does because she does a lot of one-on-one and I like to spend time in peer groups having empowered conversation. So different styles of, of coaching, business, mentorship. So really excited for it. Reach out to Carla, find her, grow your business and be empowered. Carla, I want to say thank you so much. I can't wait to hear about your trip. It's going to be awesome. Um, I will be following you to keep an eye on things, LinkedIn and other places, just to see how it's going. But uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for empowering our audience. and just giving us an opportunity to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Patrick, for having me on. This has been a real pleasure. Oh, my pleasure for sure. Thank you so much. And folks, I want to wish you a, a great day, a great opportunity in business, in life, in entrepreneurship, business, executives, leadership, whatever you're doing, make it an empowered day. Empowered. Blue Mex Podcast is hosted by Patrick McGuire and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. Empowered Podcast may be compensated by sponsors, products, or services in this show. For more empowered content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.